Again, we're going to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4. Matthew, chapter 4. Now, we are on part 8. Nine, is it, Denise? We're on, I don't even know what part I'm on myself now. We're on part nine. And I was talking to uh, Chloe last night. Not this Chloe, another Chloe. Um, Gardner, it is. And she's going to try and type me up these. I'm thinking of putting this, adding to it. It'll take a while. But God willing, if I get enough time, and I get a wee bit of time spare, I'm going to start working on this and put it into a book, maybe. And it'll help people to take home to be able to read it and have a book, um, sword fencing with the devil. So God willing, that will come. It's just we've been snowed under, flat out, and we're just hoping to get time. I maybe have to do it during the middle of the night or something, uh, a couple of hours a night or something like that, two or three hours, while uh, I get a little bit of extra time to write the book of it. Um, we're going to read from chapter 4. I'm just finding where we finished off last week, okay? But let's read chapter 4, verse 1. If you have your pen, listen to this. When Jesus was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Remember, you should have marked down there spiritual or spiritually. So there's a spiritual aspect of things that's happening today. There's a spiritual reason why you're here today because the Holy Spirit's brought you here. And the Holy Spirit brought Jesus into the wilderness to meet with the devil. Imagine that. But really, it's the devil who met with him, isn't it? Because he's the all-powerful and the almighty one. Verse 2, And when he had fasted, the Lord Jesus had fasted 40 days and 40 nights. He was afterward in hunger. That's physically hungry and thirsty. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Remember, if thou be the Son of God, he starts to work on your mental capacity, your mental state and order. He worked on Jesus mentally. Verse 4, But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Right there, scripturally, Jesus takes out the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, as we're told. So he takes the sword of the Spirit, starts sword fencing with the devil, as it were. And so, right, scripturally, for this is the first instance in this, uh, in this story or this um, converse with the devil that he brings forth that is written. And then verse 5, And the devil taketh him up into a, the holy city and setteth him upon the pinnacle of the temple, right, positionally. We looked at how we are positioned in Christ higher than any pinnacle of any temple and that we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And verse 6, And he saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus saith unto him, It is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Right there, humility. Jesus humbles himself and comes into a state of humility under his Father's word. Obeying the word of God. Remember, the first uh, or the greatest sign or the first sign of humility in a man and a woman is when they agree with God that what God says about them and who who they are before God. So coming under the word of God is the first sign of humility. And Jesus, he does not uh, 
uh, tempt the Lord. He comes under God's word, his father's word, which is humility. And then it says in verse 8, Again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. We looked there last week persistently. Persistent. The devil will always come back again. But remember, the again of verse 7 is greater than the again of verse 8. Because Jesus said in verse 7, it is written again. And then in verse 8, it's the devil. It says, again the devil taketh him. So the word of God, the again of verse 7, it is written again, is greater than what the devil comes and does or tries again. And then, when we look at verse 8, we'll start here again this morning. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. Right there, visually. Visually. Let us pray. Father, would you settle us now before you in your presence in this place? And shut us in with with yourself that we may have that Christ encounter with you. That encounter with God that's needed. We need you, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing I'd like to say um, here is, brother, sister, Christian, be aware of two gates. G-A-T-E-S. Two gates. Ear gate. What you hear. I get. What you see. Ear gate is what you hear. I get is what you see. For example, when the devil comes, he has been using the word of God. He has been trying to speak into a mental disposition or Christ into a mental disposition. He is trying to uh, speak to him mentally. So it was in his ear, if thou be the son of God. Now he tries to bring him visually to the eye gate. Eye gate is very, very dangerous. What you see, what you watch, well, fill your mind and your heart. What you hear will do the same. Visually. Visual. I know some preachers use visual aids. I'm not a big one in visual aids. I like the spirit to show you the visual. No, I'm not against them in some cases. But I like the spirit to show you the visual. And notice this. He taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. Now this takes us right back to the Garden of Eden. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3, please. Genesis chapter 3. And let's read just a couple of verses. Verse 5. For God doth know, he says unto Eve... And the mother Eve, listen to what he says. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. 
And when the woman saw, notice the eye gate, the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes. And the tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her. And he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Now notice this. Eve looks and Eve sees that one, this looks like it's good for food. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, when God said of all of the trees, you can eat of everything else. But the tree of the midst of, in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat thereof, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And the old serpent, the devil, comes and he says, you won't surely die. God doesn't want your eyes to be opened, to be like him. You see, he's a wicked God. He's a cruel God. He's a hard God. That's the idea of this. So why don't you partake of that which he says, not to partake of, and you'll be just like him. She saw it was good for food. Well, you know what? It couldn't hurt to do just the once. Isn't that right? It wouldn't hurt, and it was pleasant to the eyes. It, this wasn't ugly. And by the way, this wasn't a snake with two legs. Okay. This was a beautiful being came, or some sort of being came, that was probably attractive to Eve. And she says, you know, this looks not too bad. This looks pretty good, in other words. It's pleasant to the eyes. I will partake of it. And so she does. And listen, their eyes were opened. But they realized their innocency was gone. If you want, their mortality or their uh, immortality was gone. The garment of light, as it said, for sin brought forth death. All because of the eye gate. The eye gate. Here's what I want you to ask yourself. The one you set out because it's personal between you and God. Brother, sister, where does your eye gate allow you to watch? Think about this. What is filling your spirit from the ear gate but now the eye gate? You see, once you hear, uh, you, you, you tend to have that sometimes the voice disappears but the eye gate allows something to be printed on the memory. It allows something to be put into the computer brain, right into your spirit, and it's so difficult to ever remove it. Now, this isn't condemnation, but here's what I want to ask you. Do you fill your life and your day reading women's magazines or men's magazines or whatever magazines? You feed your spirit with that? Or you feed your spirit on the Word of God? Do you feed your spirit on things that are wholesome, even like of the testimonies of people saving grace and uh, the things about maybe revival, how God moved and blessed. Do you feed your spirit on those things? What do you feed your spirit on? Your eye gate, what you watch. 
Let me ask you, brother, in what way do you look at your sister in church? Do you know the scriptures tell us that she is your sister? You're to treat her as a sister? And vice versa, sister, to your brother? That you have to treat the older women as you look at them as mothers in Israel? So I get is one of the most powerful gates that we open and the devil loves to help us walk through it. So notice this. If you go to 1 John chapter 2, please. 1 John chapter 2. Verse 15. Listen to what John writes. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Notice what he says in verse 17. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth for how long? Forever. Now I see the word love here. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world in verse 15. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. In every instance, it's the word agape, or agape as some people like to pronounce it. I'll do it the Belfast way, agape. Okay. And agape, people are at would say, well, what is agape love? What is it to love the world? And what is the love of the Father? And how do I measure this up? And what is the best way for me to plumb the depths of this, to understand which way I am and have my life ordered? What is agape love? So if you were asked, Christian, if you were asked, what is agape love? Most Christians, most people would probably say, well, agape love is that love that goes the extra mile. Well, yeah, that's true. Or agape love is Calvary's love. That's the main one, isn't it? It's Calvary's love. Jesus down on the train. I'm not making fun of that. That's true. That's true. But how do you explain that to someone who's never heard or experienced the love of God before? And how do you understand exactly what agape love is when you're loving one thing over another and all things over Christ? You ready? Agape love is termed like this. It is a love which is called out of the heart according to the preciousness of the object that is loved. Say it again. I was hoping you'd say no there because you'd have to remember it. Agape love is a love which is called out of the heart according to the preciousness of the object that is loved. Here's the thing. And I'm not saying against you. I'm not saying about what you love or what you don't love. I'm just giving you examples. So don't think I'm getting at anyone in particular for we all must adhere. We all must take this in. Anything that's in the place of Christ is not your agape love, or is your agape love, and Christ is not your agape love. Let me give you an example of agape love. 
I've told you this before. I'm going to do it again. It's the best example I can give. So I told you this about uh, Jodie when she was young. Ellie was only a wee baby. And Jodie was only a wee two and a half year old, or whatever it was, three. And she was walking a couple of steps, whatever age she was, able to walk out. And we were living in Bond Bridge. And where the A1 comes down, the, big, the bridge went over. And we used to walk down and go to a garage. And there was a shop there buy something and come back home. And I walked her a bit and carried her a bit and held her hands as she walked along. And we got to the bridge. And so this is the, 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 the motorway or the A1 comes down and under the bridge. And so we come along and I had her up in my arm like this here and we're standing at the railing of, and we're looking up the A1 towards Belfast direction. And it goes up and it was around the corner and out of sight. So Judy would have stood or sat in my arms, pardon me, and she would have looked for a lorry coming. She would have went, They would have blasted the horn if they saw her. And so a few times, even some cars, she was doing it to every vehicle, you know, but it was mostly the big lorry she loved. In. And so this was happening. I got to a point there was no traffic. That's hard to believe in the A1, but there was no traffic. She was in my arms, and she was looking up, and she was looking around, and she was fixated like this. Waiting on a car or a lorry to come around that corner because she was so excited. And she's in my arms looking like this and I'm looking and I'm looking at her. I'm looking up the road and she just keeps that way. She becomes oblivious she's in my arms. She becomes oblivious that I'm carrying her and I'm holding her. And she becomes oblivious of me altogether. And she's looking up there and I'm looking at her and I'm looking up and I'm looking at her. Do you know that wave of love? just come out of me, Jodie. How do you make me love you so much? And she was like this. She turned me around. Huh? <laughs> huh? That's the love that's called out of the heart according to the preciousness of the object that was loved. That's agape love. Get it? If any man loves the world, the things that are out there and the things the world has to offer and the lust of the eyes, you know, you know, all of those things. Lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And we're all human. We all fail and we all struggle and we have our different work, uh, problems and all of this. But it's loving it, letting it call your heart. To it consumes, it's so precious to you that the love is drawn out of your heart. It just emanates from you could be your sport it could be your house it could be your job it could be your family it could be whatever and that's all right to love things but Christ should be the one who is so precious in our lives it calls the love out of our hearts how does agape love work in Calvary was that before before there was a sinner on the earth in Adam as we just read in Genesis chapter 3 there was a saviour in heaven and he chose you from before the foundation of the world and placed his love on you. And you and I, believe it or not, you and I call the love out of the Father's heart. I just love him. Me, when I think of my life, when I think of my past, you, God loves you. And you're precious to him. And when we get saved, he is to have the love, the first place in our hearts. 
call a love out of our hearts. Where's Christ in the life? Where is Christ in all of this church? Where is he in all that we are? Where is Christ in the busyness of all our days and our life and our home life and our family life? Where is Christ in our marriages and all of these things? Where is he? What, what number on the list? The lust of the eyes. The things we see, we chase after, we run after, we strive for, we love because you see it's visual and the eye gate catches us. And here the devil taketh the Lord Jesus up into an exceeding high mountain and he showeth him all the glories of the world. What about that, Jesus? Would not be lovely, Jesus. What about this kingdom, Jesus, and that kingdom, Jesus, and those people, Jesus, and all the riches there, Jesus, and the gold and the silver there, Jesus, and the big temples and all the palaces and all the things that are in every country and nation and all the wonders and the splendor this world has to afford. Would you not rather be king over this, Jesus, and just let Ken Davidson go to hell? What do you love more, Jesus? He may not have literally said it, but his actions spoke louder than his words. Say, first of all, I love my father. I love his will. And yes, I love Ken David. I love Gail Woolsey, Sarah Elliott, Ruth and Robert Hobson, Dave Anderson. I can go on and on and on and on. What about the wonders of this? Now listen, the devil will always offer you something that he can't, he can't give you. The devil will offer you something he cannot give you. It'll look good. It'll seem good. It'll look pleasant to the eyes, but it's not his to give. Anything he does will destroy. Notice here, this is where our eyes should be looking. Psalm 25 and verse 15, he says, Mine eyes are ever toward the Lord. Mine eyes are ever toward the Lord. Notice what he says, my eyes. He didn't say my eyes and my soldier's eyes in, the, in David's palace. He didn't say my eyes and everybody else's eyes. You see, it's personal between you and God. And while we can encourage one another to keep our eyes on Christ and to keep our eyes upon him at all times, through all things and in all ways, uh, that our eye gate will always be filled with the word of God, with the sword of the Spirit to be able to slay the devil. Although we can encourage one another, it's between you and God. Where are your eyes this morning? Already our mind's eye, some of us were going, well, this afternoon I think I'm going to have Brussels sprouts with my roast. And your eyes are turning inward to the back of your head. 
And already her eyes are away. Well, I'm going to go here and do this out of the other. And I understand when your eyes are with your pregnant wife, maybe, you know, wondering if she's okay. That's understandable. The Lord knows those things. But where is your eyes? Because where your eyes are and what your eye gate takes in, show them all the kingdoms. Jesus said, I'm not here for this. He says, all these things will I give thee. Notice, mine eyes are ever toward the Lord. Psalm 119 and verse 18 says, Open thou mine eyes, and I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Lord, the world's encroaching, the devil's attacking, he's always in my ear, and now he's trying to direct my eyes but towards things and people and events and situations and circumstances, and keep my eyes on that old boss who's always been at me, keep my eyes on that problem that I've had, keep my eyes on that sickness of that loved one, keep my eyes on this side of the Lord that I feel I have no hope left. He says, look to me. Keep your eyes to me. And he says, why don't you pray, Lord, open my eyes. I behold the wondrous things out of your law, out of your word. See, it's the sword of the Spirit, isn't it? It's the word of God. Psalm 119 and verse 37. Notice, turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity. Turn away mine eyes. He says, you turn away your eyes. Lord, I'm weak. Now listen, this is not being for condemnation to any one of you because we're all in the same boat here. We're all weak, aren't we? We're all hopeless. That's why we need him. Remember last week? He preserves us, which brings in what? Perseverance in us. Isn't that right? We need him every, every second. I don't know how people get through life without him. I don't know how for years I got through life without him. I was dead to him. I just thought, well, life was meaningless and hopeless to me. Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity. Vanity just simply means from beholding things that are empty, things that are fruitless. You know, people looking. I used to love uh, looking to the, well, it used to be for the weekend then because I became addicted to the substances that I used to take. I used to look to the, the very next moment, never mind to the next evening. The next moment was, Lord, my eyes were fixed on, I've run out of money, how can I make a few quid? And then go and blow it on drink or drugs or whatever it was. That's how I started living. Until I started getting myself into debt and danger. Danger literally. And my eyes were fixed on that. Lord, I'm struggling with addiction or I'm struggling with a problem and I'm struggling in this situation. I'm struggling and and it's consuming me. Turn my eyes away from things that are empty and fruitless. You know, see the, the world and they run after the other drink or the next fix. See, that's, their eyes are, they're captive. Their eyes are captive on it. They're fixed on it. They can't be removed from it. It's all they can see. It's all their eyes can look at. And they just chase after it. And they can't help themselves. The psalmist says, Lord, would you turn my eyes away? Now, if God turns your eyes away this morning, 
Where's he going to turn them to? To the next problem? No. He says, if I turn your eyes, which is the Holy Spirit speaking to you, the Holy Spirit moving in you, the Holy Spirit quickening you, he says, I'll turn them okay, but I'll turn them to me, he says. You know why? Because our hope is in the Lord. And every time we turn our eyes off the problem, off the situation, off the concern, off the anxiety, off the sickness, off all of those things, and on to him we find strength, we find blessing, we find hope, we find encouragement. Isn't that right? Why don't you pray this morning, Lord, I can't do this. If you're so weak, I can't do this. Will you turn my eyes away from vanity? Things that are not going to do me any good and that are empty. And quicken thy me. Will you say quicken? Will you say it again? So notice, all these things are consuming us. Our eye gate showeth them all the kingdoms of the world. Wow. You and I would be, well, I could be over all of this. And I don't have to go to Calvary. And I don't have to take the whipping post. And I don't have to take the slaughter. And I don't have to shed my own blood. I know which one we'd probably take, don't you? This will do for now. It's the here and now mentality. You know, this morning reminded me again of the name I should have called my dog. My dog is called Harley Davidson, as you know. Well, he's called Harley and we're called Davidson, so he gets Harley Davidson. And, and this morning, putting him out of his bed before I left for church, Hardy would lie all day in bed if you let him. He's a big doubled over duvet and he, he's in the garage and he's just, he, he's laying there and you walk over and he's got a gate around him and he sees you and he just throws over like this. Now Allison goes in there, scratches him, I just go, come on. And he, that's uh, him, you know. And I put him out. But you know, sometimes this morning, for example, I, got, I usually get a treat for him, like bring him out. So bring him his treat. And he looks at me and he, and he rolls over and I just went like this with a treat. On his feet. And outside he went. And I just threw the treat out and he catches it. Now I always said to Alison, we should have called him, not Harley, but Esau. Esau. Because in the Bible, remember, Esau sold his birthright for a pot of soup or stew. Isn't that right? And even in the coolest of mornings, I said, come on, Harley. He's got a big box out there and he's dry. And I said, come on, Harley. And he would look and even stand at the door and go, ask Alison. He gets up to the door and he goes to God and he sticks his head out and he sees what the day is like. And he goes, and sometimes he hesitates, but see with a little treat. Now, if it was me, I'd be saying, I'm not in my bed. I'm not getting out but Harley is like Esau. He sold his birthright for that one treat. The big warm comfy bed. And people are selling their soul. 
for the here and now. Get what I'm saying? People are selling their soul for the here and now. The eye gate says, it's all fun. It's all good crack, as we would say. I have to watch because we have Americans watch this. And when I was in America, I mentioned good crack. And they came to me after and said, you cannot say that here. I said, why? They said, because good crack means you were in a, a crack house last night. <laughs> I says, I'd said about we were having fellas up. I says, I, a few of us out. But I says, we're good crack last night. <laughs> can't say that. So it means good fun to our American listeners. And, and at the end of the day, we sell our souls for the quick fix here and now. But as today, feed the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of our life. I don't need God. But when Christ is here showing off the devil, all the kingdoms of the earth and the glories of them, he didn't take that. Do you know what he took? He went the way of the cross. Psalm 119 verse 37 says, Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity. Here's all the things, the vain things we strive for, we worry about, we live for, we can't do without in our lives, which most of them we can't, we just don't think we can't. Turn me away from this, Lord, because it has me captivated. The devil has me bound. I am addicted with this. And no matter what it is, spiritual, mental, physical, worldly, turn thy mine eyes away, Lord, from beholding this vanity. Notice, and quicken, there's the word, quicken thy me. The word quicken means make me alive. Make me alive unto you, Lord, unto thy way. So the Spirit of God quickens us and makes us alive to be able to know the things of God, to behold. And from we get saved, we're in the world and all of those things have us. And we're doing all of those things and we don't realize we're lost. We're dead toward God. We're on a broad road to destruction and our end will be standing before God's great white throne judgment as told in Revelation chapter 20. And all of us are lost and all of us will be found guilty in God's court of justice. And all of us would have been burnt in the lake of fire. All of us. God starts to speak to you. Maybe bring someone your way. And this is what he does. His spirit starts to make you alive from your dead state. You know what? This stuff's real. I'm interested about this. There's something else about here. And it grows in you and it grows in you. And that which you do not deserve is grace. Grace irresistibly draws your life. And you cannot anymore fight against God but you surrender yourself to him. He quickens you. He makes you alive. And he reanimates you. This is the last scripture this morning. Luke chapter 2 and verse 30. Luke chapter 2 and verse 30. 
I'll read this and let you just get away home. Because I know you are busting to come out tonight, aren't you? <laughs> I was very enthusiastic. It was not indeed. Verse 30. Simeon is in the temple in Jerusalem. And Mary and Joseph are bringing the Lord Jesus to the temple to be dedicated. Now, dedication was about eight days. Circumcision was about 40 days old. So here he comes into the temple. And Simeon is an old priest in the temple. When he sees the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, listen, Jesus is only days old. Little span, a little baby. Jesus is only days old. It says in verse 30. Let's go to verse 28. Then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Simeon's eye gate was fixed on the salvation of God. He was looking for it. They were doing all the works in the temple. They were slaying all the animals. They were bringing all the sacrifice in. They were even sprinkling the blood. They were wearing all the right vesture and the right garments. And they were going through all the ritualism of it. And yet they weren't saved. Isn't that amazing? You can go through it all and all your religion and all of those things and not be saved. But by faith, seeing the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, mine eyes have seen thy salvation. What about your eyes this morning? Jesus looked at all of those kingdoms that were showing him. The glory of them, as I get, he says, no, no quick fix here. He came to go all the way to the cross. And they shed his blood at Calvary. That you might be saved. Simeon, as a baby, sees him and says, this is him. And this is the one prophesied to come. This is the Savior. Mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Well, this morning I pray that we'll all keep our eyes on Christ. And I pray this morning that no matter what it is, say, Lord, turn mine eyes away from beholding vanity. Quicken thou me according to thy word. Sword of the Spirit is the word of God. The word of God is the sword of the Spirit. Let's go sword fencing every time the devil comes. If you're not saved this morning, you need to be saved. We're here this morning to speak to you. Come and see any of us and we'll speak to you about your soul's salvation. Amen.